Welcome to It's All Political, the San Francisco Chronicle's political podcast. I'm Joe Garofoli, the Chronicle's senior political writer, and today in the podcast we have freshman Congressman Josh Harder from the Central Valley of California. Harder wastes no time in making me eat crow by reminding me that I said he would lose his race last year against Republican Congressman Jeff Denham. So I eat the crow, and then we go on to talk about very serious issues like guns, gun control. We talk about the tariffs and how they're hitting the almond farmers where in his district. And we talk about Nancy Pelosi. He was seen as like a tool of Pelosi. It was predicted he would be he would do whatever Pelosi said, but he voted against her on the big budget deal. We ask him how that went down. And finally, we talk about something called the Straight Pride Parade that's scheduled to happen in August in Modesto, in his district, and how dangerous that could be. Next, Josh Harder on It's All Political. Congressman Josh Harder, welcome to It's All Political. Thank you. Good to be here. Where, now, where are you calling from? You're in a tour of California, correct? <laughs> I am. I'm in a car uh, around between Tracy and Manteca. I feel like I spend a lot of my time uh, driving between Central Valley areas and, and getting to see some beautiful dairy cows and, and almond trees out of the window. And and the last time we saw each other, I believe it was on the campaign in the uh, maybe a, a month out or so in uh, Houston. You were having a, a town hall Houston, event. Houston, no, uh, Houston, no Houston. Okay, sorry, Houston. Um, a uh, a farmer. I forgot what was he growing there. Was it olives or uh, al- almonds? Almonds. Yeah. yeah, yeah, almonds. Good, good, good Central Valley almond farm. Yeah, uh, uh, our almonds, as we as you say, it depends mm-hmm. on the pronunciation. And uh, and then now you, you know uh, we came came back and I did a podcast right after that and uh, and I want you you have all rights to make me eat crow right now. Go ahead. What did you hear on the podcast I did <laughs> right after that? Yeah, right after you visit our district, I, I, I remember you looking at, I think, seven districts that Democrats were looking to pick up in California. And I think the prediction was two out of seven and certainly none of the Central Valley seats. And I looked at that and I was like, oh, my gosh, well, this is an esteemed genius political journalist. What does he know that I don't? Well, luckily, we just got to get back to work and... Lo and behold, uh, we went seven for seven. There you go. So we inspired you to just kick up your game in the last few weeks to to, <laughs> right. to win the win right. the race, defeating the. Uh, how many terms with Denim was in there for? Like four or five terms, correct? That was a that was a yeah. big upset. Yeah, big quite upset. a while. Yeah. So it was, uh, it was a big deal. <laughs> so I I actually want, I want to tap into uh, your experience right now as someone who's been there, you know, what six seven months in Washington as we you know we're coming off these horrific shootings in the last couple of days you have you're looking at this with a fresh pair of eyes why why we know the power of the nra and such but why doesn't anything get done on gun control in washington from from your pair of fresh eyes there yeah well i think it's incredibly frustrating i was uh talking i was at the, the turlock farmer's market the other day and, and i said and the woman just came up to me and she said, if you don't do anything else in Washington, the one thing I want you to be able to do is make sure that my second grade kid isn't scared every day when he goes to school because he thinks he might get shot. And that just broke my heart because I think there's a lot of folks in our community who are in the exact same situation who are seeing what happened, you know, not just in El Paso, not just in Dayton, but also in Gilroy, uh, right next door to, to 
happen anywhere in this country. And I, I, I sort of reject I, 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 your, your premise, which is why the heck doesn't something get done? Things are getting done. I mean, we passed the first gun violence bill out of the yeah. House in 25 years. It's sitting right now on Mitch McConnell's desk. It's got 90 percent. I mean, even before these uh, tragic shootings, it had 90 percent public support. I can only imagine it's even higher now. Uh, I think the Senate should call an emergency session, do their job and pass a bill that they should have done several months ago. Where do you see do you see the power of the NRA? I mean, is it is it a real power or do you are you hearing from your Republican uh, friends who say, you know, I would really want to do this, but I I just can't. Do you, do you hear any of that stuff? Well, we had a lot of Republicans or at least a handful of Republicans that voted for H.R. 8, the gun violence bill mm-hmm. uh, that would institute universal background checks across the country. So I, I don't think uh, I don't think it's the NRA. I think they're seem to be pretty pretty much in chaos these days, right. and some Republicans seem pretty happy to, to join on board. But ultimately, there is nothing that creates more cynicism, and rightfully so, about politics than when you have issues that have enormous popular support, uh, 80, 90 percent of Americans that want something like this to go forward, and then you don't see them get done. And I, I think the best antidote for that is got to be changes at the ballot box. I mean, if you see your Republican senators who don't bring this up to a vote, then you should vote them out of office. I mean, that's the that's the answer in a democracy uh, when you have something like this, where people are continually dragging their feet, and we're seeing the consequences every day. And I'm actually writing something uh, for uh, tomorrow's, uh, this will be Tuesday's Chronicle, um, that looks at, you know, there has been, you know, small... Uh, and growing mass movement uh, organizations, you know, uh, uh, moms uh, demand justice, and and uh, and you know, of course, the uh, the uh, the Parkland kids who started a group. Why hasn't there been a um, like a, a massive? You know, we're in the streets every day, every month about uh, gun violence. It's this is something that touches all corners of our culture. Uh, everybody, you know, there've been, uh, there's been shootings at, uh, churches and synagogues and, and, and Walmarts and military bases and everywhere. Why doesn't this unify us and, and, and to, to take a stand on this? Well, I, I would, I, I have a different view. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's somewhat informed by what I saw in this district in 2018. I ran against somebody who had an A rating from the NRA who proudly talked about that. Mm-hmm. Who had taken tens of thousands of dollars from them, and uh, was uh, was not just sort of a, a foot soldier. In fact, he 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 was one of the lead sponsors of pushing concealed carry reciprocity, which essentially means that California would have the gun control laws of Nevada right next door. We wouldn't we, would, we wouldn't be able to to to, to ban concealed carry uh, out here, and that was one of the one of the distinctions among many in, in our race. And we had, you know, Moms Demand Action, uh, local chapters out here that were very, very organized, very, uh, uh, you know, very mobilized by that distinction. And I think for a lot of folks that maybe didn't see eye to eye to me on that issue, on other issues, they saw that one as something that actually was was deeply mobilizing. And we were able to win an election based on that. So I I really come from a different side of things, which is the vast number of people that think that we should be doing more to address gun violence. They have been sleepy. We have been sleepy for way too long. 
But over the last couple of years, that dragon has been awakened, and it has to continue uh, to be uh, to, to, to be mobilizing. We want an election based on it out here. We have to win more across the rest of the country if we're going to see some some real change. Um, when uh, during the during the race last year, you uh, were seen as a uh, going as someone who's prospectively could be seen as uh, a tool of Nancy Pelosi. I mean, that's a, sort of a boilerplate uh, attack from Republicans they use on on every uh, Democrat. Um, but I, I noted the other day when the budget came, you were one of 16 Democrats who voted against the new budget deal, Speaker Pelosi, that she had negotiated with the administration. Um, you said it didn't address out-of-control government spending and the increase in the debt. Um and it was done behind closed doors. What? Why did you vote against the budget deal? Yeah. So my district, half my community voted for Trump, half my community voted for Clinton. Uh, we, we won this race by a couple thousand votes against the long-term Republican incumbent. And I think what people are looking for is an independent voice on their concerns. And part of this is what we can do to deal with uh, a, a huge and increasing national debt. And I'm very concerned because if you look at the situation that we were in, I come from business. That was my background. Mm -hmm. uh, I remember very vividly the last recession that we had. The Obama administration in 2008 had actually quite a bit of wiggle room. We had uh, a much better debt situation where the Obama administration was able to do a large stimulus to restart the economy. And we had interest rates that were much higher than they were today, so we could actually go down much lower, cut those, and stimulate the economy from the monetary direction as well. Neither of those two tactics are available if we're hitting a recession tomorrow. And what I'm really worried about is the fact that we're ramping up massive debt while we're in a really good economy. And what's going to happen if there's another recession around the corner? We have nowhere else to go. We can't really cut interest rates all that much farther. We can't really do a massive stimulus because we're already deeply in debt. Uh, I'm, I'm worried that the Trump administration just seems completely willing to do massive tax cuts, uh, spend trillions of dollars on, on programs that aren't really helping ordinary folks, aren't really addressing health care, education, the real needs in our community. And that's why I voted against the budget deal. So when, uh, when that happened, did uh, Pelosi call you into the office and put you in a headlock and just wail away for a few minutes? Or did she say, <laughs> OK, Josh, you go ahead. You, you, can have your, you can have your vote against me now. I'll, we'll, I'll, I'll turn around and look the other way. What did, what, which was scenario was, uh, was valid there? I think that the Democratic leadership understands that when you're in a district that's very purple, uh, that you have, a, a, you have to do what's right for the district's interest. And every single vote I take, I mean, I don't look at Republican or Democratic stuff. I'm trying to make sure that we're actually focused on the needs of the community out here. I sponsored more bipartisan bills than any other Democrat in Congress. Eighty-three percent of the bills that I have uh, sponsored have been bipartisan, both Republican and Democratic support. And I think folks are sort of sick of people yelling at each other on TV. They actually want to see something get done. And that's what we're working on out here. You also have uh, four, is it four, four opponents at this point um, and, and who are challenging you already, you know, six months in because it is a swing district. Um, but you have raised more money than I think any other freshman Democrat in the first quarter and, and, and pretty much the second quarter, too. You, uh, you're well on hand. Um, but again, one of the critiques of that is a lot of the money coming from outside the district. I mean, that's was uh, you got hit on that during the campaign, a lot of your money coming from. Uh, you know, uh, 
San Francisco is, I think, believe I believe your uh, leading zip code or your uh, leading region for where your money's coming from. What, how are you going to answer that when people are going to say, "Hey, this guy is fund. He's a he's a venture capitalist, former venture capitalist who was uh, funded by San Francisco money. That's not Valley money." What What do you say to that? Well, look, I think our campaign finance system is deeply broken, and I think we got to fix it. I I believe that we should in Citizens United, that we should get dark money out of politics and get back to a system where it's a little closer to the ideal of one person, one vote. Um, and I also, I, I do a lot of things voluntarily. I mean, I don't take a single dollar of corporate PAC money. The predecessor, the, the incumbent that I beat, 70% of the dollars he raised came from corporate PACs, pharmaceutical companies, organizations uh, like the NRA and, and, and gun manufacturers. And so we're trying to set a different example out here. Uh, that said, this is the only swing district in Northern California. Every other district that exists in Northern California is a safe blue seat, guaranteed to be Democrat, a handful of districts that are sort of guaranteed to be Republican. Um, we've got to be able to build a strong momentum because in 2018, Republicans spent $15 million against me, more than almost anybody else in the entire country. Uh, Sheldon Adelson, one billionaire wrote basically a $5, billion, $5 million check just against me uh, personally. So I think uh, I think that's pretty flattering. I think it must be mean we're, we're doing something right out here. <laughs> it's very flattering to, to have a, a $5 million check written against you. I, that, is a, that is, in politics, that is a form of flattery. Um, the, uh, and you're, you're trying to, to walk a middle ground, as you say. In, in March, you, you vetoed, or I'm sorry, you voted against, uh, to, you voted to kill the effort to, I guess, is the correct way of saying it, to impeach President Trump. Why do you think he shouldn't be impeached? Well, look, I think that that vote was more of a process vote to make sure that we weren't calling things too, uh, too, too quickly. I think you can't help but look at the Mueller report and not feel disgusted by the corruption endemic in this administration. And I think uh, if everybody in America read the Mueller report, we'd be in a very different situation than the one we're at now. Uh, that said, I mean, I'm on the Agriculture Committee and the Education Committee, and I think what people are really searching for here is accountability. And I think we would be in a much better situation if we were holding the Trump administration accountable for the stuff that they're doing every single day to hurt people. Um, that means, I mean, I spent a lot of my day yelling at Betsy DeVos and trying to hold her feet to the fire for what she's doing to undermine our public education system. Uh, a lot of time against Andrew Wheeler, the, the head of the EPA. This guy's a former coal lobbyist, and he is in charge of the EPA undermining Obama-era pollution requirements that are actually going to increase the number of folks uh, in California that have asthma. And so, you know, I think we'd be big, doing a big lot issue, better job for, for the For the listeners, that's a big issue in the Valley. A lot of, lot of uh, pollution is a long time a big issue there. Go ahead. We have, we have the worst rates of childhood asthma in the entire country, and what the EPA is doing right now is just going to make it worse. And so what I think we should be doing— is conducting more oversight, doing more accountability, and more directly connecting it, and more connecting what the Trump administration is doing to how those impacts are hurting everyday folks out here and across the country. Because I think that's when people are are, are really fired up, and rightfully so. As, as speaking of uh, everyday folks getting hurt out there, uh, today the, the Chinese uh, said they're going to retaliate uh, with, with some tariffs. What, what How is that affecting the farmers out there? Give us the, the latest on this back and forth, because, you know, Yes, there was some subsidies passed, uh, but th that's a pittance for, for the amount that some of the farmers, particularly in your district, are, are losing. Yeah, it's a big problem. 
I had a farmer come up to me who said, the only person who thinks trade wars are easy to win has never run, read a history book. And I think that's largely the case. I mean, we produce, California makes 80% of the world's almonds. And we have 1% of the world's population. There's only like so many almonds every one of us could eat. There's only so many almond milk, so much almond milk that you can actually <laughs> consume. Obviously, we need to be able to sell those products across the rest of the country and the rest of the world. And right now, uh, American tariffs for almonds into China are over 50%. Whereas Australia, which produces the other 20% of the world's almonds, is at zero. And so our farmers are at a deep disadvantage, all caused by the Trump administration. And we're not getting any closer to winning this thing. The Trump administration is just shooting from the hip, and the people that are left holding the bag are farmers out here and and across the rest of the country. What are you seeing? Are you seeing farmers uh, go out of business, selling, or has it not reached that point? Uh, I mean, I know it's still, still fairly early in this, but what, you know, like actual effects are you seeing on the ground there? Yeah, it, it's a huge uh, economic impact. And what you're seeing is the price of walnuts uh, and almonds have been dramatically cut. Walnuts have been, the price of walnuts globally has gone down by over 50% just in the last two years. And that is an economic impact that can be measured in the, in the hundreds of millions of dollars, not just directly to our farmers, but one out of every three jobs in the Central Valley is indirectly connected to agriculture. And so that affects our, our anybody uh, uh, who actually consumes food or, or who lives out here. And we're having farmers that are really making tough decisions. Right now, I mean, we, we've seen uh, a lot of folks who are straining on their working capital. And I think we're very concerned if we don't get to a solution and resolution uh, quickly, then we will absolutely see some some bankruptcies and, and, and farms closing. And let's be real for a second. You really don't like almond milk, do you? Because I know it's it's dreadful. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Almond milk, come on. Are you, you're not contractually required to like it. No, I, 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 am, I love almond milk. I also love dairy milk. There you go. You love dairy milk. You really not like almond milk? That's I, I hate it. I hate it. I, I will, I will we'll chug. Get some flavored, we'll get some flavored stuff <laughs> Please, here. It'll you would have better. flavored with, with uh, a lot of coffee. That's the only way I think I could stomach it. Um, oh my God! Yeah, <laughs> well, as long as you, you know, look, we also have a lot of dairy cows. We're also okay with uh, with dairy milk as well. <laughs> um, the, the, a couple months ago, uh, Governor Newsom uh, said he's no longer going to institute the death penalty in California. Your district is, as you said, as it is on many things, it's uh, um, it's uh, you know split red and blue. But on uh, on the death penalty, sixty six percent of them. Uh, supported it when when the last time it was on the budget in 2016. Where are you in the death penalty? Yeah, look, I think that it's... I talked to a lot of folks out here. People see the death penalty as a justifiable punishment for some of the most heinous crimes that can be committed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do think, though, that there's a lot of common ground on not supporting the death penalty in practice the way it's actually enforced across the country. We have a criminal justice system that is deeply uh, unequitable, uh, one that disproportionately punishes minorities, African-Americans, Latinos, and gives them the death penalty for the exact same crimes uh, at a much higher percentage than Caucasians and, and, and whites. And second, we have a lot of evidence of folks that have been convicted by the death penalty um, that have later been exonerated. I mean, that's the entire brilliance of the Innocence Project is going out and finding people who are on death row who actually are, are clearly not guilty of the crime. 
And so I think our first priority should be cleaning up our criminal justice justice system before we go even further. Uh, That said, I I have a problem with the the governor's process. I think you can't put something on the ballot, like the repeal of the death penalty, have it rejected, uh, and then have sort of an executive order to dispense with it anyway. I mean, that, that doesn't that doesn't feel like democracy to me. So, and, and you personally, where are you at with the death penalty? Do you support it or do you oppose it? I think that in, in theory, I think there's a place for it. Uh, I think the way that it's actually conducted right now uh, is, uh, is, is pretty wrong-handed. It probably should be stayed until we can actually clean up the court. Uh, I wanted to ask you about something that's still, I think it's still scheduled to happen in, in uh, Modesto, and, and you've come out against this. It's, it's something called a straight pride parade. Um, and yeah. it's being promoted, and especially after the events of the last couple of days, this sounds, uh, you know, ominous to say the least. It's being promoted as a celebration of being, this is, quote, being heterosexual, Christian, and of Western civilization. Um, what, I want to hear, obviously, you, you have, you think this is a terrible idea, and, but um, how do you walk the line on free speech and allowing something like this? And, and what are your concerns about this happening? And what are you doing about it? Look, just because you can say something doesn't mean you should. And I think that's what we're seeing here. We, we've seen, uh, you know, a, a straight wide, a straight pride parade, so-called, uh, that is connected not just to anti-LGBTQ uh, bigotry and hatred, but also to, to racism. I mean, as you said, one of the parts of the manifesto that they're talking about is a return to so-called white civilization. And I think after what we've seen happen last weekend with uh, the events in El Paso, that should cause huge concerns across our, our community. And I think it's just one more example uh, of bigotry and hatred in this time. And it's a, it, the reason why I'm concerned about it is because of how much we have seen the impact of that hatred manifested not just in, 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 in shooting and, and violence, but LGBTQ kids across America commit suicide at a rate five times higher than their straight peers. And what kind of a message do you think it sends to them when you're doing a parade that is vehemently opposed to, to, to who they are and, and who they love? I, I, think it's a, I think it's a real, uh, a real travesty, and I, 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 I'm really encouraged, though, by the efforts of our community to stand strong against it and to say that hatred and discrimination have, have no place out here. And at this point, it's still on, though, correct? Uh, I don't think the permit has been issued. It is still being considered still by being the considered. city okay. of Modesto. Okay. Um, so one last thing, you've, you've been in Washington now for a couple months. What has been your biggest surprise? And uh, what thing do you think that you were know, maybe a little anxious about, concerned about, has been a breeze? <laughs> uh, I think that the part that's really frustrating to me is how disconnected the events of Washington often feel to the day-to-day lives of people out here. And I, I often think that the biggest opponent that I have on the ballot, it's not a, it's not a Republican, even a swing district, it's the forces of apathy and cynicism that exists in our political process where folks feel like the voice, uh, their voice doesn't matter in our political process. And one of the best things that we did in 2018 is because of our outreach efforts, we more than doubled minority turnout from the last midterm in this district. Uh, We tripled 
youth turnout from 15,000 youth voters to over 50,000 youth voters in an election we won by a couple thousand votes. And a lot of that was because we were able to tightly connect the issues that people were struggling with every single day to what was actually occurring in that election. And so if you had a, a, a daughter with cancer, you had an uncle with diabetes, you knew that their pre-existing conditions, those protections were what was on the ballot box in a swing district like ours. You knew if you had a dreamer that sat next to you in math class, that that was what was on the ballot. And I think, um, you know, everybody in Washington would be a lot better off if the decisions we were actually making were more connected uh, to what I'm seeing and hearing out here. I think there's a lot of folks who sort of seem to get distracted by the noise and chasing the rabbit out there. Okay. Oh, and by the way, do you have a uh, horse in the presidential race yet? <laughs> in a district where, uh, uh, you know, John Cox won, not Gavin Newsom. I'm doing everything I can to stay, uh, <laughs> stay abreast of all that and, uh, and, and stay apart. We're trying to hold our coalition together. I, I think I expect to support the Democratic nominee. We'll see who that is. But my number one focus is that no matter who's in the Oval Office in 2020, that we have a Democratic House. Because I think the worst thing that could happen is if somehow we screw up that presidential race and we also lose some of these swing districts like mine. We're renting districts. We don't own them. Uh, we got to do a lot of work in order to make sure that we're uh, connecting to folks out here and doing everything we can uh, uh, to remind folks what we're what we're up to. Congressman Harder, thank you very much for being on That's All Political. Thank you, and I will officially say I was wrong in predicting that you would not win. <laughs> and uh, and uh, <laughs> we, we, we that is officially part of the record now. So thanks for no so worries. much. No <laughs> It was a close one. It was a close one. Yeah. Two weeks after Election Day, I don't think uh, I don't think it's uh, the big issue. Uh, well, thank you for all the doing stuff you're doing, Joe, and excited to see the conversation. Thanks for the time. Okay. I'd like to thank you all for listening today. I'd like to thank Congressman Harder for coming on to the podcast today. I'd like to thank the King, King Kaufman, for producing today's podcast. And remember, whether you get your milk from an almond or a cow, it's all political. It's All Political is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Audrey Cooper is our editor-in-chief. Our music, our theme music that we have is Cattle Call. That's written by Randy Clark and performed by Randy Clark and Crow Song. If you like this show, subscribe, rate, and review it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. For more great journalism like this, subscribe to the San Francisco Chronicle at sanfranciscochronicle.com slash subscribe. You can find me on Twitter at Joe Garofoli. Thanks.